130. Psalm 130. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead, open up to Psalm 130. Right in the middle of your Bible is the book of Psalms, and they're in order. One, two, three, four, five, so you can find 130 uh, if you're looking for it. This is what is called a Pauline Psalm. It's interesting. As the, as the uh, academics over the years have looked at this psalm and tried to understand what it is and broken it down, they found that this is a Pauline Psalm. It's got a lot of the same themes, a lot of the same ideas that you find in Paul's epistles in the New Testament, books like uh, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians. Some of the same themes work their way right through here. In fact, it was Martin Luther, the great reformer, who once said that this is the psalm that is the most Pauline in its nature. All right, so we're going to dig into this today. And as it's almost the new year, part of the thrust of what I want to talk to you about is what 2021 can look like for you. We ought to be a growing and changing people. And before I even dig into the word, I want to ask you this question. When it comes to your spiritual life and your spiritual walk with Jesus, when it comes to your spiritual maturity, your spiritual growth, your love of God's word, your biblical courage and conviction to say and do what needs to be done, when it comes to all the things that Christians ought to be about, living out the life of Jesus, the lifestyle of Jesus, how was 2020 for you? Genuine assessment time. We know how the year was for the world. We're well aware of everything the world went through. My question to you is, was it a year of significant spiritual growth for you? My guess is, after talking with a lot of folks in this church, is that perhaps, perhaps, this was one of those years that didn't necessarily feel like a ton of spiritual growth. Some of you did. I know your story. Some of you had tremendous growth this year. We saw baptisms. We saw new people putting their faith in Jesus throughout the entire year. But I know some, it was a difficult year. My question to you is, how was your walk with the Lord this year? What happened? And if 2020 was not the type of year that you hoped it would have been in terms of your spiritual growth, what do we do right now to make 2021 that year? That's what I want to get after today. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are going to dig into the Bible right now. And God, I pray that you would work powerfully through my voice. I pray, God, that you would speak your words God, that it would be your spirit that goes forth and uses whatever words are said from this pulpit right now to infuse the word of God in us and to make it stick. God, I pray that Psalm 130 would have a word for us today and that we would be a genuine reflective people. God, may you change us today in the name of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, wherever we are spread out in homes across the city, around the country, frankly, God, Holy Spirit, would you be working in the lives of each person that's hearing these words, and would this be a turning point, no turning back to the way it was, moving forward into what you're calling us into. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. How does a person change? Well, the, the process of changing a life, changing a lifestyle, becoming more like what you aim to be, really is a, a series of habits. I think a lot of us, when it comes to our spiritual faith specifically, what we're oftentimes looking for is the, the magic bullet. It's kind of that, that magic moment that's going to take us, and, and we see our life just as this progression of it, it is how it is, it is how it is, and then one day, someday in the future, there's going to be this, this moment, certainly it'll come, and then after that, we're really going to get invested in our walk with Jesus, we're really going to turn on our spiritual life. The problem is, is that, frankly, very few people have magic moments like that. Some do. Those are stories. We know those stories. Martin Luther was one of those guys who had that story. But most people, it's not, a, 
It's not this moment where you go from running this way to running that way, and then you're, you're like set. For most people, there's this journey, not just of conversion, but of growing, and it's these daily rhythms and habits that we build into our life that change us. What does the, book, the Bible tell us? Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20 to 22. It says, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ears to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Oh, I love those words from the book of Proverbs. He says, keep these words in your heart. The language there, the Hebrew language used behind that proverb is guard these words. It's as if there's this active stance and posture that the Christian, the follower of the Bible, the follower of God says, I'm going to take your word, I'm going to actively guard it. I'm going to protect it from whatever might come to try to snatch it away. I'm going to be on guard. And I'm going to put rhythms up. I'm going to put defenses up. I'm going to, have, I'm going to put offenses up to make sure that the word of God stays deep in my heart and is constantly changing me. And did you notice what it said? It said, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. It changes you. Did you know in the year 2020, uh, I forget what research group just did this study, they, were, they asked of all the demographics that you could break people into, which people or people group had the most uh, optimistic and year filled with growth in the year 2020, right? So who said it was a good year overall? You know the only group that answered that was? Bible-believing church attenders. That's it. Why? Because the Bible's true. These words, they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. You want to have life? You want to have life abundantly no matter the circumstances, no matter what life throws your way, no matter what rock God places in front of you? It's going to be from this book and forming habits in your life that actively reflect a life of growing with Christ. Today is a few days before New Year's Eve. And this is frankly the season where a lot of you are thinking about New Year's resolutions, isn't it? We're thinking about what are we going to do next year? What are the goals we're going to get after? I know as a pastor, I'm right now on my whiteboard, I'm, I'm putting goals up. What am I trying to get going? What, 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 what are we aiming for this year? What are we mobilizing our people to? How are we getting after this mission God's called us to? I got them too. How do we prioritize going deep with Jesus so that all those things flow out of a place of abiding in Christ? Because here's the thing, at this church, you know what we speak a lot about? We talk about mission all the time, and, and that's important. You're going to get that from me in every sermon. Christians are not these passive individuals who stay kind of hidden behind the scenes and let life come at them. Rather, we are on the offense. The great reformers called us the church militant. That's important language for us to remember, the church militant. It wasn't because we're a vicious or violent people. It's because we're a people who are on the offense we're bringing the gospel to the difficult and dangerous and hard places, and we're going in courage and power and the power of the Bible. But to do all of that, outward mission, it must flow out of a place of deep abiding in Christ. And this is where we get it wrong as modern Christians. We think we can get the mission done with a new strategy, hire a few consultants, read a few new books, and then all of a sudden we're good. We can do church mission all day. It's not how it works. If you're not rooted in Jesus Christ, if there's not an actual real relationship with the living God where your heart is in touch with God, you're abiding with him, hearing from him, then there is no mission to be had. 
All that grows out is those dying fruits. You know, you ever like open up a piece of fruit and there's nothing there, there was no juice to it, there was no flavor to it? That's the type of fruit that will get produced. But if you abide in Christ, if we form these habits and we say, okay, 2021, of everything I want to get after, I'm going to prioritize these habits. I'm going to build them into my life. And I'm not going to make excuses. There's no excuses for these things. Because the years will fly by if we keep making excuses. And we're suddenly going to find that we're the same person as we were 10 years ago. And we're to be a sanctifying people. So I'm trying to make this simple for us. A few habits that we can build into our life. Three habits for us today. Now, Psalm 130. What do you need to know about this contextually? Psalm 130 is a psalm of ascent. That's important language. If you know your Bible, if you love your Bible, you should know about the psalms of ascent. A-S-C-E-N-T. What were they? These were songs that Jewish people sang on pilgrimages that they would make about three times a year. There were a few festivals throughout the year that Jewish people in the Old Testament were commanded to go to Jerusalem and to make certain sacrifices at the temple. And they would all do this in big caravans. So during the year in the Old Testament, God's people would kind of get in these big crowds of people and they'd make their way up to Jerusalem. And as they would go, they'd have their Bibles open. And Psalm 120 through about Psalm 135 are the psalms of ascent. These were psalms and songs that they would sing on their journey together. Kind of amazing. People have been singing these for thousands of years. I mean, isn't that powerful? Just before you even dig into it, there's something pretty powerful about that. God's people for thousands of years have been repeating this psalm to each other. I wonder why God worked it that way. Psalm 130. Here's the first habit. I'm going to give you three habits today. First one is this. We need to build in a habit into our life of approaching God. Of approaching God. Another way to say this is weeping, but I'm going to actually change that language today. The language that we hear in this psalm is weeping, but I'm going to help us understand what it means by saying we got to approach God. Psalm 130, verses 1 to 4. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquity, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. All right. You want to have a 2021 that you'll look back on and say, I had significant spiritual growth in? How are we going to do it? We're going to form habits. And the first habit is going to be, there's going to be this rhythm in our life of meaningfully, intentionally approaching God. The psalmist begins by expressing this deep agony of the soul, doesn't he? I mean, let me read it again. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. That language, depths. That's the same word that's used in the beginning of the Bible when it says the Spirit of God was hovering over the depths. It means it's the, it's the deepest. It's, the, it's, the, it's the, the place in the soul that is as deep as it gets. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. This is not surface-level annoyance. This is not the mark of a person who's zipping through life and hasn't taken a moment to feel what's going on in life. This is the mark of a person who is experiencing something troubling. It's deep in their soul. It's, it, it's got them worried. It's got them full of tears. And he, he, what does he do with it? He brings it to God. You, know, you see this pattern, this habit in his life? He experiences life, and then he approaches God with it, and he labels it, and he brings it to them. He's putting words to it. Most of us are very bad at reflecting. Now, and I want to actually specifically speak to the men for just a moment, all right? 
Men, I'm one of you, okay? So, and I, I, I know what this is like. Men, we're notoriously bad at reflecting. Women, you're a bit better than we are, but you're not all that great all the time either, okay? Men, you're notoriously bad at this. We have a hard time actually stopping to actually kind of do that sensitive thing and actually look inside and say, what's going on? What's happening inside of me? What am I experiencing? What is God doing? And how do I present what I'm experiencing to God properly? The psalmist was able to do that, wasn't he? Listen to him. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. I'm going to stick with the men for just a moment. Women, I'm going to get to you. Ready? Men, when was the last time you prayed a prayer like this? Meaningfully. Lord, out of the depths I cry to you. Lord, this year has hit me, and I'm angry, and I'm frustrated, and my job is not going right. When was the last time you, you really spent significant time with the Lord and sat there long enough to hear him respond to you? Have you built that habit into your life? We like to have our, our life put together, don't we? We like to have it organized. We like to, even in the way we approach God, usually we like to have our act together. We like to come to God with it all neat and tidy. We want to make sure there's no construction happening across the street. For those of you who live in Chicago, which is everybody here, basically, we like to make sure that everything is just right. We light our candles. We do, we do it the right way. But there's something about the rawness of the way the psalmist approaches God, isn't there? It's just messy. But isn't that the Christian faith? It's just messy. It's just kind of this, this brokenness coming before God and saying, this is a jumbled mess, right? Like, it's all I got. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you're going to work through it with me, God, right? That's what Christian approaching God looks like. It's bringing the mess. It's knowing the word of God and then laying it before him. The Psalms are this psalm, song book of the Christian life. And this is a good place to go, by the way. If you're looking, how do I start this thing off? How, practically, what does this look like? Start with the Psalms open. Find a place alone with God and open to the Psalms and read them. And, and what you find as you read the Psalms is that they're designed to help you put yourself in the psalm writer's shoes. And what you do is if you go through a psalm slowly in prayer, you begin to internalize the actual words of the psalm, and you make the psalm your own. This is what's amazing. For thousands of years, people have been doing this. It, it, these are not new habits we need to learn. It's the same habits that God's people have always done. But I want you to see something else that happens. There's this turn that's made within the middle of his weeping, isn't there? Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Then he says this, verse 3, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there's forgiveness of sin. See, if we only bring our emotions to God, then, then we're kind of missing the fullness of the equation that God's invited us into. Verse 3, the psalmist can't get that far before acknowledging his own iniquity, right? If you, O Lord, could mark iniquity, O Lord, who could stand? Part of a, a meaningful approaching God is doing it in such a humble way that we recognize the sin that we bring into our brokenness and the brokenness in the world around us. This is very Christian, right? This is just, this is like Christianity 101. If we don't build in the habit in our life of approaching God, both bringing the realness of our life and the realness of our confession of sin, then we miss this. There's, there's going to be very difficult to have a meaningful growth in the Lord. The psalmist first expresses his anguish of the heart, then he expresses the cause of his anguish. It's iniquity. Now, 
there's this great book that was written a number of years ago called Extreme Ownership. I've quoted this a number of times. It's not a Christian book. It's a book on leadership by a Navy SEAL named Jocko Willink. This guy's fascinating. And he just writes this book on why are, why are the SEALs so effective in what they do? Why are they the most elite fighting force on the planet? Why is that? And he walks through and he applies the principles from the SEALs into just general leadership of whatever, leading your life, leading a group, leading a team, leading a church. Here's what he says in this book, Extreme Ownership. He says the leader must not must or he says the leader must own everything in his or her world. There's no one else to blame. The leader must acknowledge mistakes and admit failures, take ownership of them and develop a plan to win. He's in a sense very right, isn't he? Isn't that very almost Christian of him even though he might not even realize it? The person who approaches God takes ownership of the things of their life and they say the reason things are broken God, I've brought this in. I recognize my sin, and God, where I don't recognize it, I'm going to hold my life open before you, and I need you to reveal it to me. It's total ownership. See, we have this tendency of doing this, right? This is how a lot of arguments in households and between marriages take place. Look, honey, I know I did this, right? I'm aware. I did this, and it frustrated you. But you did this, 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 and this. So on the great balance sheet that is our marriage... You are more to blame right now than I am to blame, okay? That's how marriage arguments happen. And marriages that are sitting right next to each other right now and you're nudging each other, that's basically how most arguments happen, okay? Here's what the Bible says. You know that little part where you said, I know I did this? That's far more important at this point that you need to focus on, you need to bring to the Lord. I know I did this, but you did that. Don't worry about the, but you did that, 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 and that right now. You look at this part, I know I did this. That's what the Lord needs you to bring before him. Because we take ownership as Christians of every little sin we do. We bring it before the Lord and we experience the forgiveness of sin. Until you bring your sin and realize how to actually repent meaningfully of the things you have to take ownership of, it's going to be very difficult to grow spiritually in the Lord. Now I want to take a moment and pause here because there's something important. Some of you are listening to this. And as a pastor, I get to be in your lives. It's one of the sweet joys of my life to be in your life through the sweet things and the difficult things and the, the terrible things. I get to be there. Some of you have been victims of real abuse. And here's what I want to tell you. So a number of things. Sometimes what you hear if you're a victim of abuse and terrible things have been done, done to you is you hear a pastor say something like this, take ownership. You take ownership. You're the one who needs to repent. And what I want to tell you right now is if those types of things have been done to you in the year 2020 or before, and you have not actually experienced the sweet arm of the church come around you saying, I see you, and that's not your fault. That was someone else's fault, and we're going to comfort and counsel you. Then I want you to experience the comfort of the Lord right now. Here's what I want to tell you. If that was you in the year 2020, may 2021 be the year where you find sweet and precious counsel from a community of like-minded believers who know and love Jesus and would Jesus bring healing. There is healing. Lean into the church if that was you, okay? For most of us in this room today, for many in this room and many listening, there needs to be real ownership, though, of the things that have happened in our life. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? We studied this not that long ago. Before you, before you try to take the, the splinter out of someone else, the speck out of someone else's eye, what does he say? Take the plank out of your own. This is, this is Sermon on the Mount stuff. So what's the first habit we need to build? First habit's this. We have to build in this regular habit of approaching God. And look, here's, you know, I, I've seen this enough now 
For many Christians, there's an embarrassment that that's really not built in that solidly into your life. I think what happens is you come into a church and you hear sermons about developing a prayer life, learning how to repent, learning how to confess, and you look around and there's this assumption that everybody does this really well. You know that? And I feel like if, if it would be very, like, I won't do this to you, but if I were to say, stand up if you're really struggling to have a meaningful prayer life and meaningful confession with the Lord and really struggling to hear from the Lord, my guess is if there was honesty in the room, many would stand up right now. Why? Because habits are hard to form. And sometimes we start doing the whole mission thing, the whole community, the whole church thing, before we lay the meaningful groundwork that will actually produce a lifetime of fruit. So here's the thing, ready? It's 2021 almost. Let's get after this. These are real habits that we do together. And I want there to be this authenticity in the church where we say, look, we don't all have this figured out. I don't have it all figured out. I'm not up here, some guru who's got a century of experience figuring this out. I'm in this with you, and I want us all to learn this and build these habits properly. Number two, we have to build in this habit of expecting God to move expecting God to move. The, the word the psalmist uses is waiting. He waits. Listen to him. Psalm 130, verses 5 and 6. I wait for the Lord, and my soul waits. Oh Lord, I'm sorry, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. You see how often he says the word wait? My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. Then he repeats it, more than watchmen for the morning. What a precious few verses we have right there that some of us really need to actually linger on. You know, the Christian life is full of patience, isn't it? There's this spiritual discipline of patiently waiting on God to respond that's very powerful in a Christian's life. Time is a tool in God's hand. You know that? So if you're, if you're praying prayers and you're wondering why God has not yet responded to them, the answer is not that God has not heard you. The answer is that time is a tool in God's hand that he uses to form something in you that you would not have formed in you had he answered it the the second you you, you prayed the prayer. Time is a tool in God's hand. And the Christian is called by God to wait patiently through that, that time as you're waiting on the Lord to respond with clarity and to wait there long enough that he can form everything in you that needs to be formed. We wait on the Lord, and we trust in the Lord. But here's the thing. To wait on the Lord is an actual, active thing Christians do. This is not just passively going through life. We've prayed our prayer, and now we just do life, and then we just expect that this is what it means to wait. No, there's a right way to wait on the Lord. What do we see from this text about the proper way to wait on the Lord? Number one, if waiting is not personal in nature, it's not waiting properly. If waiting is not personal in nature, it's not waiting properly. What do I mean by that? Look at what he says. He says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. I wait for the Lord. When you read in your Bible the letters L-O-R-D, Lord, in all capital letters, in an ESV translation, that's the name Yahweh. That's the personal name of God. It's difficult to see that because oftentimes we think of the Lord in capital letters kind of like a generic term for God, right? But here what he does, he says, I wait for you, Yahweh. Now why is that significant? The name Yahweh was given to Moses. Remember the story, right? Remember, it was given to Moses on the mountain. Moses was having this identity crisis. He was having this this season where his birth parents had basically uh, abandoned him. The Jewish community had abandoned him. His adoptive parents, the Egyptians, had abandoned him. He was kind of without. He didn't know who he was. He was wandering in the wilderness. 
right? Both, both physically as well as kind of as an analogy for his life. It was these wandering years of his life, no clear direction. And then God approaches him and says, I've got this mission for your life. Here's what I'm going to do through you, Moses. I'm going to send you back into, into Egypt, and you're going to help set my people free. And, and Moses looks back up to God and says, God, what's your name? Who will I say sent me? It's this deep moment in Scripture of Moses, this man struggling with his identity, looking back to God and basically asking this question underneath of not only who are you, but who am I in you? What's the source of this power that I'm going out in? And God responds with the name Yahweh. I am is what that means. I am who I am. Yahweh. And so when the psalmist picks up that name, he says, I'm waiting on you, Yahweh. You're the one who met Moses. After 40 years, by the way, of wandering in the wilderness. Right? Let's just talk for a moment about how long it takes for God to respond. Remember Abraham? How long did Abraham wait for Isaac? Anybody remember that? 20 years? Was it 20 years? I think it was 20 years. Here's what I'm going to do through you, Abraham. You're going to have a son named Isaac. I'm going to form literally all of redemptive history through you. How long do you have to wait? 20. We can barely wait 20 seconds. 20 years. Paul was an intern for 14 years. Remember that when we studied the book of Acts? We're going to get to the book of Acts in the new year. And, and, and here, Moses waited all these years, and then God responds. We wait personally. Here's what that means. When you engage with God, waiting does not mean I've prayed, and then I back off and I go about my life. Waiting means we pray personally. That means I continue in this personal relationship with God, where I'm getting to know him, just like I would get to know my kids or my wife, or I get to know any of you. I'm speaking to you. I'm listening. That's waiting. It's active. Number two, waiting is anchored in the promises of the Bible. Listen to him. Verse five, and in his word, I hope. See, one of the ways we wait improperly is when we're waiting on things to happen that God never said he's going to do for us. What are we supposed to wait on? We're supposed to wait on the Lord and anchor ourselves in his promises of Scripture. We hope in his word. We cling to his word. Let me help you with, with a spiritual discipline that can really help you. One of the things that I do in my life to help me anchor myself in the word of God is I memorize Scripture. I try to take chunks at a time, and I pick a verse, and then what I do is I, I actively work. I'm not great at memorizing. It's as difficult for me as it is for any of you, I promise you. But what I do is I'm, I'm trying to memorize scripture and, and, and let it sink into my, my heart in a way that it, it, it's working all day through me. So when I'm walking somewhere, if I park my car and I'm walking to the grocery store, I got a minute and a half while I'm walking, what am I doing? I'm trying to recite a verse that I'm working on. And what's happening in that moment is this word is, is working its way into my heart, and I can, I can then begin to use it in my prayers. Now, these are habits and disciplines that you can do as well. And they, they don't take all that much time. You write a verse, you keep it in your pocket, and throughout the day a few times you work on it. Just one verse a week. Try that. And then over the course of a year, how many is that? It's 52 verses you've memorized. See, but what are we doing when we do that? We're not just trying to memorize verses for memory's sake. Go back. What did he say? He says, in, in your word I hope. See, the second habit we're trying to form is approaching God personally. And so we want to hear his word. That's what personal means. We, we know him. Well, here's his word. He's spoken to us. We want to know what God said on an issue. We're going, to, we're going to store the word up and shape and frame it all from his word. It protects us from waiting foolishly for things that won't happen. But then also notice this. Our waiting is persistent. It's persistent, isn't it? It takes the long haul. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. 
one of my memories I have with my wife. And a group of friends, my wife and I met, uh, really met while we were in Thailand. I was a missionary in Thailand. My wife was working at an international school, was living uh, missionally, but working full-time in an international school as a fourth-grade teacher. And a group of us, her and me and about seven friends, we all were at a beach, and this was years ago, and we were at this beach in Thailand, and we decided we were all going to wait up on the beach for the sun to rise all, all night. We were going to stay there, and it was a group of Christian friends. We're out there. We're saying, you know what? We're going to wait for the sun to rise. Okay, and that was a, early, a very fun memory of ours in that group of friends. Do you know how long the sun takes to rise when you're waiting for it? <laughs> that takes a long time. I remember... Two o'clock came around, and I was like, okay, this sounded really fun. At nine o'clock when we thought, hey, it's New Year's, let's wait for the sun to rise. It was not fun. Two, then three, and look, look at what he says. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. Here's what happens when you're waiting. You wait, and it's like it never comes. It never arrives. It never arrives. It never arrives. And then suddenly, what do you see? This little sliver of the sun pop up over the horizon. It's almost like it's deceiving you. Is it really there? Because I've been waiting so long. I'm not sure if it's actually there. That's how prayer works. We pray to the Lord. We're waiting on him. We're clinging to him. We don't understand why he's not responding, but we know that he's good. We know he's heard. We're clinging to his promises. And then one day we're going about our business when we're least expecting it, and there it is. There's a sliver. It's just this sliver that we couldn't see before, but we see it, and all of a sudden, it's like the sun flooding into us, and we begin to say, he's on the move. I see it. I didn't realize when I started praying this prayer that that's how he was going to answer it, but man, he's answering it, and suddenly, the time keeps going, and we see his answer rise higher and higher. It's like the sun rising. That's how Christians pray. But here's the thing. If you don't pray the way the Bible calls us to pray, and you wait, and you expect, and you cling to his word, then when the sun rises, you will miss it, and you'll be blind to it. And you're going to go through all life wondering why God didn't answer your prayers. All the while, he answered them all. You just missed it. <laughs> That's what we do. He answers them all. We just miss it, because his answers are not the exact thing we would do if we were him. He is God. He's got more information. Now, how are we going to get after this? Look, question, Park, honest, reflective question for you. And I'm asking us collectively now. Are we a praying people? Because we're the church. So here's, here's the question, right? Someone who doesn't know us, right? They, they're, uh, uh, they don't believe in Jesus. They're in the South Loop. They're one of the people we're trying to reach. And we ask them, hey, here's a church in the area. What are some of the things you think we do? I'm guessing significant prayer would be a centerpiece of what they think we should be about. Now, here's a question for you. Are we actually about that? I know the answer to that question. The answer is, I think we got a long ways to go. And if anyone's honest, if you've been here long enough, I think the answer you would say too is we got a long ways to go. We're going to start something in the new year, January 1st. It's going to be seven days a week prayer. Now, here's, here's the foolish thing about this. Over COVID, we have started a number of prayer things. We started praying three times a week, right? If you remember, COVID started, we prayed three times a week together over Zoom. How did that go? For the first two months, it was awesome. We'd have 40 people sometimes. And then it started getting down to 10 people. And then eventually it was me and Mike Rolfus. 
I see you back there, Mike. <laughs> Thank you for being on those prayer calls. God works through two people praying, let me tell you. There's power in that. But three months after 40 people on the prayer call, it was me and Mike most nights. So then I, I, I brought it down to one day a week. I'm just being authentic and telling you how this happened. And then eventually we cut it because it was me and Mike. And it's like, okay, now we have a pre-service prayer. We have it on Sunday mornings, and that's important. And that started with 15 people. Awesome. Most weeks it's two people right now. So I'm asking you again. Church, are we a praying church? Can we get after this, please? And it, it can't rest on my shoulders. I'm one of the members of this church. I have a specific calling to be the primary teacher from this pulpit. But each of you have a calling and an equal membership in this church to me. We have to get after this. If we don't pray, nothing's going to happen. Nothing. And can I tell you, the South Loop and Pilsen and Little Italy and Bronzeville, where, where do we live? The Loop? They need us to be praying because we have to be a mobilized church. I dream of having an abortion ministry that is watching women have their lives changed who are going in to do something they are going to regret for the rest of their life and then they need to encounter the gospel and they need praying people that are there with them. It is not going to happen if we do not all say every day we pray, we're the church. It's not going to happen. I dream of having ministries that are flowing out of this place, after school ministries, where there's too many volunteers jumping in. Because there's just too many of them, and there's not enough slots for it. I dream of being involved in NTA, National Teachers Academy, down the street. They need it. I know that principle. We were in the schools for a little bit. COVID hit. We got to get back in. Do you know how many ministries need to start? But again, if we do the mission thing before the connect with Jesus thing, it's just dead fruit, and it doesn't last. And we're not good at this. And I, I, I do not want a two-week sprint at this church. We, we've got to collectively move as a people on prayer. So seven days a week prayer. And I'm not asking you to pick one day a week. I'm not lowering the bar for us. I want you in. You say, I work. I got lunch meetings. I get it. I used to have a corporate job too. I did that for five years before I was a pastor. I know what that's like. And I get you won't be able to make all of them. Prioritize. Make a couple. Watch what happens in your office. When you say, let's move that meeting to 12.30 instead of 12. I got a prayer meeting with my church I got to get on. You, you want to have an impact at your office? You wait. Try that one. And then you keep doing it. Month three. And then they just start to know, don't schedule him at 12 o'clock. Why? Oh, he's a praying man. He prays with about 100 people from his church. Look, here's what's going to happen. It's going to start strong. You're going to get on, you're going to see about 50 people on the Zoom call. I'm, I'm waiting for March, June, September. You're going to be in it with me? Can we pray, church? This is how all things happen. This is how your growth will happen. I'm going to send you all the information online. There's a slide for it. It's seven days a week, Monday through Saturday at, at noon to 12.30 over Zoom. And by the way, this is park-wide. This is pretty cool. All the park locations are doing this. So park across the city has three to 5,000 people that meet on a regular week. 
So park-wide, we should be blowing that Zoom thing up. And I think South Loop should be leading the way at it. All right, do you, do you have it yet? Nod, nod your head with me if you caught it. I need you, church. You need you. We need this. It's about time. Been too long. How do we wait on the Lord? What's the second habit we're going to build? Expecting God to move. I'm making this easy for you. I gave you the application already, <laughs> okay? You don't need to ask how we do this. You log on to the Zoom call every day at noon. That's how you do it. All right, number three, we expect God to move. Number three, we worship constantly. Look, look at how he ends this thing. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. He turns and he says, oh, Israel. He's been talking about me, and then he has this collective word, Israel. And there's this worship that takes place. For with the Lord is steadfast love. It's like you can just sense in this psalm as you're reading these words, you take long enough with it. He, he's gone through repentance. He's gone through waiting. And then he, at the end of the psalm, he just explodes in this proclamation that God is so good. His steadfast love endures. It's better than I deserve. Church, the, the life of a Christian is the life that is marked by spontaneous worship all the time. Just all the time. Worship is not just when we sing. It's not just when you're here on a Sunday. Wor worship's everything. All of life is worship. You, you, it's when you're, you're walking to your train in the morning, and you're waiting for it, and you're, you're working on a scripture you're memorizing, and suddenly you're not working on a scripture anymore, but you're just like, oh, I, you're good, God. I got to... See, worship happens all the time in the life of a Christian, but it also happens through intentional habits that you form. And, and, and I want to call you to that, to this regular pausing throughout your day, every day, where you stop and just praise and worship and remember the great things God has done in your life and is doing. In the midst of everything that's hard, to be a people that stop and say, yes, sin is real in the world. Viruses happen. Why does that happen? Because sin invaded this world. But hope and redemption did too when Jesus rose from the grave. And therefore, we got a lot of hope as Christians. And so I'm going to cling to that. And throughout my day when everyone else is grumbling, there's going to be these moments of just calling on God and saying, God, you're better than I deserve. And we worship him with our whole selves, with our will, with our emotions, with our mind. Right? With our will. We kneel. We, 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 we raise our hands in worship right? We gather together. These are, these are active things we do that proclaim we're worshiping with our emotions. We've already seen that out of the depths I cry to you. We sing, we lament. These are all our emotions wrapped into our worship. And with our mind, we worship with our mind. We think rightly about God. When we're believing things that aren't true about him, we allow the word of God to shape us. And the cross is the pinnacle of our worship, isn't it? Jesus Christ taking our place on the cross, dying for you. Look, this whole thing we're talking about, getting after 2021, getting after habits that are really going to shape you and form you and mold you, it's all underneath the shadow of the cross. If that's not the pinnacle of your life, it, you're not yet understanding what this Christian faith is about. Jesus purchased you on the cross. He came after you. He redeemed you from the pits of hell. An eternity apart from him. And Jesus said, I got you. On the cross, I take your sin and now you have life eternal. And if that doesn't mark you as a worshiper, then you're yet to encounter what the gospel is all about. If that doesn't mark you as someone who is just kind of inflamed with worship regularly, looking at the cross and saying, it's, it's that good. 
You're yet to encounter what the cross is all about because it's not just something that was written in a book. It's God in the form of Jesus Christ taking your place on the cross. It's worthy of an eternity of worship. And you will worship him for eternity if you're a Christian. Three things. What was the first one? We bring our emotions to God. We approach him. Number two, we wait on him. We learn how to expect him to move. And number three, we worship constantly. Park, we got some work to do to get after this year. I'm inviting you into this. We're going to get after some difficult, challenging ministry this year. Will you form these habits with me? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we love you. As we think of the next year that's coming up, God, we want to honor you with it. God, we want to glorify Jesus Christ. We want to be a church that's changing, that's growing. I pray for us, wherever we are, whether at home, whether we're away from the city, whether we're in this room right now, God, that you would begin to form some habits in us that change us, that make us more like the Christians you call us to be. I know we're all a work in progress, but God, I pray for progress. I pray for sanctification, progress, not perfection. God, that we would get after this thing, and Jesus, that you would get all the credit and all the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, go ahead.